All right. I am so excited to have Adam here today. Uh, and I met Adam through John. Uh, he is in the real estate world and mm-hmm. he just has the amazing connection to this company. I'm in the marketing world, especially in the Alaska area. And I've seen this company first rate just blow up in like the last five years. Uh, and everyone that I know that's connected to it through the real estate world, through the lending world, um, we have a client, Stuart Title, which is a big title company, like the things that they say about this company. And when John connected me to you, I was like, I have to get Adam on the podcast. I got it. You, what you're doing at that company, the mission, the vision, the values, the goals that you guys have obviously are working. And so I'm just really excited to have you here. Well, thank you, Ken. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. And so why don't you just tell me a little bit about like what got you started down this path now to be an owner of an incredibly successful mortgage company? Sure. Uh, it's a long journey as most uh, journeys of success are. It's never a, never a direct line. So I got into the mortgage industry completely by accident uh, a long time ago. It was in the early 2000s. It probably was you know, 2004, something like that. Maybe it was even 2003. I was selling car stereos and home theater equipment. Uh, and there was a rich guy that always came into the shop and he was always buying all the cool toys. And one day, the, you know, this, this, this guy, this rich guy, the client, he came to me and said, hey, Adam, you're a sharp young man. Yeah, you interested in a real job. And I didn't know what this guy did, but he was making money. And so I said, yes, yes, teach me what it is you know. And this guy owned a mortgage company. Uh, First Alaska Mortgage Company was the name of the, the, the company back in the day. He hired me as a loan processor. And uh, so I started as a loan processor. Um, turns out loan processing was not my skill set by any means, but I struggled and I worked through it. I knew that there was an opportunity on the other side of this, this struggle and this pain. And so eventually I got good at it, you know, and then I became a junior loan officer. And right as I was starting to figure out what was going on in the industry, the whole industry just collapsed. We hit 2008, 2009. Uh, we now call that time period the Great Recession. And the, the Great Recession started with the real estate and mortgage industry, which just collapsed. Um, we fought through that. We fought through it. And I'm going to skip a whole bunch of steps in here. But uh, that company that I've been hired to work at, went out of business. It went bankrupt. Um, my leader at that point in time, his name was Justin. He's the guy that hired me and started that business. He left the state of Alaska. I bought the remaining assets of that business from him. I moved my business over to First Rate Financial, where I am today. First Rate Financial was started by Jason, another old friend. Um, and I worked at this company with Jason through the Great Recession um, and then all the way through. And it was a it was a small company. It was kind of me and my buddy. We were doing our thing. Eventually, Justin, who originally hired me, the rich guy in the radio shop, he came back to Alaska, joined Jason and I, and they were old friends as well. We got the three amigos back together and started building something, right? It was in the end of 2017 uh, that the three of us were on a, on a trip together in New York City. We're walking around the city late at night, and we were hatching plans and setting goals for the coming year, you know, things that we wanted to accomplish and uh, at th- that, this point, the three of us were like top 1% loan officers in America for production. So we were good at what we did, but we were a small team. It was the three of us and, you know, a small staff of, 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 um, of loan uh, processors. 
And so Jason said, hey, listen, this company has been built by you two as much as me. How about we all get together, we team up, we do something new, we'll set a new vision. So Jason uh, generously gave Justin and I each a third of the company. Um, we set a new goal, we set a new vision, we uh, crystallized our core values and wrote them all down. And we charted a new course, you know, boldly forward. And the three of us, in order to accomplish the goals, recognized that we needed to get our most valuable resource back, which was our time. And that meant that we had to step out of production. And so the three producers stepped out of production uh, and we started hiring people. We hired a team. We started training the team. And it was scary, man. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. Initially, the very first month after Jason or Justin and I became owners, we had to uh, we had a cash call. We had to write checks back to the company. Um, so day one, you know, we're losing money on day one. And we had to think to ourselves, hey, was this a good idea for all of the producers to stop producing? Uh, looks like we're losing money, you know, this month and the next month I, with no end in sight. Uh, but we stuck to our mission. We stuck to our plan. We we believed fully in our vision of what we wanted to, to create. Um, and it started to work, you know, the production went down, the profitability went down, but eventually if we found a floor and started to, to build it and climb back up the other side. Um, and I will never forget the month that we first had regained all of the production that we had lost when the three of us stepped away. And that was like a real proof of concept that what we were building was, was going to be successful long-term, you know? Um, and since then the production has continued to climb and climb and climb. And we are led forward, pulled forward by our core values, by our mission, by our vision of who we want to become. And it's really cool to be part of an organization that is so unified in why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. It's been a cool experience. I, I just, I want to when from the month that you guys had to pay back, right? You or you had to pay in to keep things going versus the month that you guys exceeded what you guys had done. How how long was that time frame? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm probably guessing here. It probably was three years. It probably was like in, in that kind of zone. Um, it was a, a, a big hole to fill, you know, it was a big hole to fill. And yeah, it was probably about three years. It's not an overnight thing, you know. I mm-hmm. think that anytime Anyone accomplishes anything, whether you climbed a mountain or you you reached a, a pinnacle of financial success. People don't notice until you accomplish the thing. They'll hey, look at that guy. How did he get to the top of the mountain? Right. Well, where'd he come from? Didn't see him coming up. There is a whole lot of struggle uh, behind any success. And, and frankly, replacing our lost production wasn't success yet. It was just like barely back to even. And we weren't even profitability wise because we had to pay all the people to do the loans that we were doing before. Right. Um, but yeah, three years, probably about the, you know, three years or so. Um, but it was fun and it was an exciting moment as it was proof that we were headed in the right direction. And if we continue down this path that we were going to get to where we wanted to go. Yeah. I mean, just think about like the the long term mindset you had to have for that three years to, you know, during that three years, you know, was there any additional like regret or fear or doubt that potentially made you or were you just resolved the other way? Like, no, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. How did that work for you? Yeah, I'd love to say that there was um, no second guessing and no fear. and We moved boldly forward into the future and that would be a complete lie. Yeah, it was it was mostly fear and trepidation. Um, however, there was absolutely resolve. So at no point did we think about quitting or giving up. Uh, but were we scared? Were we uncertain? Did we 
second guess ourselves? Absolutely. Um, it helped having that clarified vision and mission. And so we were like, we were clear on our plan before we took our first step. Uh, we did not start hiring people first. We took a step back. We separated ourselves from the job, from the day to day, and truly spent a lot of time working on the business, not in the business to get clear about why we were going to do this big, scary thing. And once we had that why solidified, then even in the moments when we were the most fearful, you know, we were most likely to second guess ourselves and want to quit. We could revisit that why and, and and gather strength from that. You know, um, there also is a lot of power in the partnership. Um, you know, one of us on our own is way less likely to see than all three of us. And so having the three of us together as a team and the three of us, if you get to know us all are all very different. Um, we are all very different individuals. There's some overlap of, of skills, um, some overlap of traits, but mostly we're very different. If there's one common thread that ties us all together, it's that we're all hard-headed. <laughs> we are all, all hard-headed and aggressive. Um, other than that, our skills and weaknesses are, are very different. Um, we view and tackle everything that we do in very different ways. And the differences is something that has absolutely made us stronger. Um, we argue constantly. Uh, and argue maybe is a wrong word. There's no negative. Um, there's nothing negative going on here, but we wrestle with ideas. We wrestle with the ways to do things. And we have found um, time and time again that the, the decisions that we make that are the worst, the worst decisions are made when all three of us quickly agree. Someone's got an idea. And if, if the other two guys jump on board, oh, yeah, this is definitely the way we got to go. Let's do this. Those tend to be the worst ideas. The best ideas are when someone proposes something and the other two immediately disagree. And then we get to argue and roll around and fight this idea. And through fighting the idea and testing the idea, we make it stronger, right? We sharpen it. It gets a little bit better every single time we, we wrestle with it. Um, and so having good partners um, that are, are not going to be defensive, when you want to wrestle their idea, I think is key. Um, the three of us are very close and we trust each other. We trust that our, my, I trust that my partners have my best intentions at heart or have, they, 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 they want what's best for me. And so if they disagree with me, it's not a personal attack, not that they don't like Adam or that I don't like them. It's that, Hey, I want this idea. I want this next step, this next implementation to be the absolute best it can be. Then in order for us to get there, it needs to be honed and sharpened. Right. And so the, the dynamic that we have this push pull accountability and straight talk, um, without, defensiveness has been absolutely key in our success as well. You know, did that just all of a sudden figure that out? Or did you guys have to figure out some of that, like the trust, the the best intentions at heart for the other person? Because I have a partnership, right? Well, there's three of us too, funny enough. And it, it is taken a process to mm -hmm. learn like how to communicate that, how to like debate, how to push back, you know, because that's hard, you know, sometimes for being really transparent or like totally calling someone's BS and like, you know, what was that process look like for you guys? Because I can imagine that was a really powerful process for you guys to get to where you guys are now. Absolutely. I, I think it's it's ultimately one of the hardest things um, that anyone can ever do is, is, is maintaining a long-term, intimate, transparent relationship. You know, mm. uh, look at how many marriages fail. And uh, this this relationship we're in, running this business, growing this thing is 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 absolutely that level of, of relationship. There have been a handful of things that have 
jeopardized and put at risk this relationship along the way. Um, we are both all close friends. We're close friends. We're also business partners. We spend a lot of time to each other, with each other inside and outside of the office, which is both good news. It also it means there's lots more opportunity for risk. Um, right. There's not very much that is compartmentalized. It's all kind of mixed together, you know. Um, there have been a handful of things that jeopardize to destroy the partnership, and we've we've done some some very very hard work. Uh, we've had a, a number of different business coaches. We've done individual coaching. We've done group business coaching. We've had some intense therapy sessions as well. All right, uh, like I'm I'm not kidding. You know, yeah. we've had some very intense you know business. And, and relationship therapy sessions, um, you know, rolling around with all of those hard-headed individuals that are involved in this thing. And, and through it all, there's been a commitment, right? There's been a commitment to the mission, a, commission, a commitment to the vision, a commitment to the core values that bound us together originally. And so being clear on that allows us, even when Oh, I hate that guy. You know, um, I just want to punch him. It it brings us back to all right. Why did we make this commitment? Why are we doing it? And there is a recognition of the skills that the other person brings to the table. Um, the fact that we are so different allows us to see weakness in each other. Mm-hmm. I think that in order to 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 be successful to build something, you have to believe in yourself. You have to have confidence, right? And people that are confident oftentimes are going to overlook things or be overconfident in an area maybe where ugh, you're not as good as you think you are. And so having someone to my left and to my right whose skills are very different than my own allows them to see maybe if I've taken a misstep, right? And the trust that we have, if someone says, hey, Adam, you're out of line, you know, shape up, get, you know, get further this way or further that way, move closer or away from this. Um, I know that it's always said in love and in line with what we want to accomplish as a team. And instead of defensiveness, I would take that as a gift. And it's not just me and my partners look at that the same way. And I think that um, real, honest, genuine feedback from someone that you trust and care for is a gift. Uh I'm not going to say that it's it's easy all the time, right? Sometimes it's, hey, man, you're screwing up. The initial knee-jerk reaction um, as a hard-headed, successful individual is say, hey, Paxan, buddy, I know what I'm doing over here. Get out of my way. Um, and so sometimes you got to remind yourself and, and bite your tongue. Um, but it's always better doing that. Like, we are better for it. You know, it allows us to move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. You talk about how, like, if you all three agree, how bad of a decision that is. I have found that to be exactly the same with our, our partnership. Like if we all like get into a three hour meeting and half hour in, we're like, I think, I think we're good. I don't even think we, I think we're all aligned on this and we're going to move forward. Destined problem to happen yeah. for sure. I totally agree with that. So now you said that each of you guys have like an extreme strength that they're all different, right? And mm-hmm. you guys are all different. Could you kind of tell me like, what are you good at? What is Justin good at? What is Jason good at? What, and then how does that come together? Sure. Absolutely. Um, so Justin is, is a very uh, process-oriented individual. Mm-hmm. So he thinks uh, very linear. He's very um, systems-oriented, and he is kind of the architect a lot of a lot of the systems that we have. Um, he is very good at follow-through. He does not get distracted. Like if you give this man a goal, he is going to march step after step, after step towards that goal. He's not going to veer left. He's not going to veer right. He's not going to get distracted. He's got blinders on and is going this way towards the vision. Um, the guy is is uncanny. He could just wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to stop drinking water. I'm only going to 
do something different instead. I'm just going to stop drinking water. And the guy will just do it, you know? Um, you know, you hear people saying, that, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to quit smoking or something like that. And then they struggle and they fail along the way. Uh, Justin doesn't do that, man. This guy is, is wild. He's superhuman. He sets a goal and he just does it. He just accomplishes things. Um, and so he does a lot of the systems, a lot of the systems, mm -hmm. a lot of the processes, very mechanically minded. Uh, Jason is, um, is a fantastic salesperson. Jason is great with people. J Jason is, um, is, is very good at managing details. He's very detail oriented is OCD. You should see this guy's pantry. All right. It is organized. Um, he is a very organized individual. And so Jason has got, um, a, a good ability to have a large radar. He's got everything on his radar. Um, he's always scanning for problems, scanning for problems and minding those, those day-to-day -day details. Uh, he's really good at that. Um, I am, the salesman of the bunch. Um, I love people. I love selling. I love problem solving. Um, I like teaching. I love being at the front of the room. I like working hands on with people and solving problems and, and putting together the puzzles. Now, I think it was, I think it was Jason, you were saying it before, like you and Jason always are competing every year up before you guys started, right? Like you guys were working together, but you guys weren't running this company together. And you told me that you guys were like one loan apart every single time, but you guys both did completely different tactics, right? In the sales to that outcome. Yes. How would you draw the differences? What were, what, you know, what did you do versus what did he do? And what were the main differences in those, in those two things? Sure. It was, it was Justin, not that it really matters. You know, yep. I get the two boys confused constantly, you know? Uh, the Jason and the Justin. So uh, at, at this point, Jason was owning the company, running the company. Okay. Justin and I were in production. Um, Justin, again, with his mechanical mind, he is like diligent in setting a plan and, and executing. I tend to be a lot more reactive, right? And so we are, we're, we're very different in our skill sets. And we had a friendly competition. We had offices right next to each other. And we would close you know, 250 to 300 loans, each of us every year. I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of, of volume and we would end up within like one or two loans, one or two loans every single year after hundreds of loans. Um, and as we grew our businesses, we grew our teams, we had our own systems and processes. They, they could not have been more different. Um, I did most of the things myself. I was just, just kind of like just me and my processor. Justin started hiring people right away. He started growing his team. Before you know it, he had like four people on his team and it was still just me over there. We were doing the same amount of volume. Like we're doing the same amount of volume. And uh, for the longest time, I, I was like, what, you're crazy, man. Like, what are you doing? I'm making way more money over here because I don't have this team that I have to pay for. And Justin would laugh and say, yeah, but I have my time. I got to leave at two o'clock every day and you're here till eight o'clock every day. Um, but then we get those W2s at the end of the year and Hey buddy, uh, you know, look at this. Right. And so there was not a right or a wrong way, but as the years went by and you know, the numbers grew, the production grew, his team grew. Um, it was just, it was just increasingly interesting as like a science and social experiment of, of how we would end up so close at the end of the year with very, very different tactics. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the conversation of teaming up of like, all right, I'm good at these things and the things I'm good at. You're not very good at things that you're really good at. I'm, I'm not very good at wonder if we could help fill in the holes. Right. So why don't you let me teach some of your team? Your team is short on training and education. There's some, some soft skills that they're missing. So how about you let me come teach 
teach your team. Let me spend some time with them. And then why don't you, you know, help me build some of those systems and processes that you're so good at. And um, that kind of that that cross pollination, if you will, um, is what started the conversation of let's all team up as together. Yeah. And so you guys teamed up, you guys, did you guys lock yourself in a room and come up with this mission, this vision, these values? Uh, was that kind of how it worked? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how, yeah. We locked ourselves in Maui um, is what we did. Oh. We, we, uh, we call them mission trips. We right. Mission trips, They're not work trips or mission trips because this is our life's mission is to, is to accomplish what we want to do here. Um, our mission, just as, and we can maybe come back to this, but our mission at First Rate Financial is to have a positive impact on the community and the people we serve, our team members, referral partners, and clients. And so, yeah, we knew that we needed to separate ourselves and um, – this has been a big part of of what we built is we go on these these work trips or these mission trips where we we get out of the state of Alaska we get to a place where we're away from the phones the emails the families all of the other things and we can like lock ourselves away and focus on the task at hand and in a in a creative space build something and focus on the why the why we do this and you you serve them or you prioritize them in that order, right? Community being number one, your people being number two. Is that correct? Uh, so the, the mission, again, to have a, a positive impact on the community and the people we serve and then team members, referral partners, and clients. And so specifically, we itemize them, team members, referral partners, and clients in, in that order. And that's unusual. I, I think that there's a lot of people out here who are like, well, wait a second, shouldn't the clients come first? And you're telling me the clients come last? What, what's up with that? And we put our team members first because we recognize that in order for our team members to deliver the kind of service, the kind of attitude, the kind of experience that we want anytime you interact with our company, in order for them to deliver that, we have to fill their buckets full. We have to fill their buckets so full that they are overflowing with value and joy and happiness, that they are dedicated to the mission. They know why they're there. They know why they're answering the phone. Um, and if we do that, if we're successful in that, that we can have a greater impact and impact on anyone that comes in contact with us. The referral partner is second because we're going to work way more closely with them than we are the consumers long term, right? So again, we want to deliver an experience. And the, the experience ultimately that we want to deliver is to the customer. But if we have to focus on our immediate team first, we focus on our referral partners as an extension of our team, right? We need to make sure that our our referral partners we're working with are dedicated to the same mission that we are of serving people, of, of delivering an experience, of helping families in Alaska, right? And so we would hope that that we would be able to fill our team's buckets so full that they overflow into our referral partners' buckets. And then when we bring a client into this abundant lifestyle, this abundant environment, right, that the experience that the client has is is life-changing, is, is, is a whole different experience that a con, you know from a consumer that you're going to get anywhere else, right? Whereas if we put the customer first, if we focused, focused only on the customer, it would be very easy to step on the necks of the people that we work with, to step on the necks of our team members or referral partners because it's best for the client. And so uh, you might call it backwards, but it's the way that we do things and uh, we've had great success with that. I mean, it, it makes complete sense to me. So I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. When it comes to how you guys put your people first, is there some examples like you just find that maybe it's in your industry or other businesses that you know owners or leaders that you, the things you do differently that make you stand out to put your people first? Is there certain types of things, retreats? Like, you know, what do you guys do to create that experience for those employees? There's a lot of things, you know, um, 
so just to, to hit a couple of them, um, and I'll finish with what I think is the, the most important Good. is we do, uh, we do first rate fun days. So we try to do these, uh, quarterly, we separate ourselves, we close the office early, we go out and we have some fun, you know, we're going to go play games in the park. We're going to go throw axes. Um, we're going to go sledding, you know, we're going to go have a barbecue. We're going to go have fun together. Um, we've gone and done archery, you know, we'll go and just have some fun together. Then we'll go out and break bread. You know, we'll go have some dinner, have some drinks. We'll invite the spouses and all the kids to come afterwards. Uh, but we're intentional in nurturing those relationships. Um, one of my, my favorite parts of the year every year is our Christmas party. Um, that's kind of a sacred time. We, we go out to Girdwood. Um, for the longest time, we used to do it up at the Seven Glaciers and say, take the whole team up there. We got to the point where we couldn't fit the whole team in the Seven Glaciers. So uh, now we do it in the Cahilton Ballroom out at Alyeska. And it's a, it's a black tie event. Everyone's dressed up, tuxedos, ball gowns, um, you know, open bar, uh, you know, nice like nice food, and it's a it's a wonderful event. We always either got a, a DJ or a live band. There's dancing, music, drinks, fun. Um, we do a, a gift exchange. It's it's just a really good time. We get hotel rooms for everyone out there all weekend long. Sometimes it'll be a three day weekend, um, and we hang out. The whole team's running around the hotel. Everyone's hanging out in the pool, you know, and it's just fun to to be with the team. Uh, we do retreats. Absolutely. We do retreats, um, at least two, if not three times a year to work on the business and our mindset. So, um, our core values, uh, we can get further into those, but our first core value is personal and professional growth. And we take that seriously. And so we do a lot of working on ourselves, working on our team, working on our mindset. Uh, mindset is so important. You know, I heard someone say recently that, um, success is 80% mindset and only 20% tactics. And I totally agree. 20% tactics, 80% mindset. And so we spend a lot of time focusing on that. We do office-wide Zoom calls once a week. Um, we are all together for 30 minutes and we break into operations and sales for 30 minutes. Our team is, is spread all across the state of Alaska. We've got people all the way from Juneau to Fairbanks and everywhere in between. We have a handful of people that work outside the state of Alaska. Um, they were Alaskans that life just took them outside. We loved them so much. We didn't want them to leave the team. So they, they maintained their position, but just down in the lower 48. And so we get together intentionally once a week, all to see each other. Um, we focus on growth during this time period. We, we focus on growth. We focus on our mindset. We do shout outs. So we encourage the team to shout out a teammate and, and recognize someone who's living into our core values, someone who's living out the mission, someone's doing a good job, you know, and we give them public admiration and it encourages the team to build those bonds, right? To build those bonds um, and to look for the good that someone's doing as opposed to looking for the bad. Yeah. So obviously if that's number one, it's been a big part of you three, right? That mm -hmm. personal growth and professional growth. What's your personal, like what, what has been your personal plan? Do, I mean, a mentor, do you read, do you audiobooks? I mean, this is such a focus that I spend a lot because I believe in that 100%. You know, what's that look like for you? Because I think it is really different for a lot of different people. And so if, you know, the fact that it's big on you, I'd love to hear what your personal growth plan looks like. Sure. Yeah. Um, all three of us have had individual business coaches um, for, for many years. We've had individual business coaches. We've had um, team coaches, you know, we'll have a coach that teaches or, or, or coaches our leadership team, the three of us. Um, and then there's been a, a tremendous amount of growth that comes in the push-pull dynamic between the three of us because mm -hmm. we are so different. And so, uh, yes, podcasts, books, uh, we know we got seminars and educational events on a regular basis outside the state, 
been at Tony Robbins events, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Frankly, the, the, the day to day though, it's, it's that, that iron sharpens iron, you know, steel sharpens steel. It's the push pull in the relationship between the three of us where all of us are growing. All of us are growing and we're pushing each other to grow. And I'm going to learn the things that excite me that I want to learn about. And my buddies are going to learn what excites them, which is different than what excites me. And then when we get together and we wrestle with our ideas, frankly, the, the most of the growth comes from that that daily accountability, that daily push pull. And so it's having strong men, it's having strong people on either side of me to hold me up and hold me accountable. And not just in business and not just from eight to five, but in my life, you know, it's, 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 you are not a different person at home than you are at the office. Mm -hmm. You are the same person. You are the same human being with the same excitement and goals and struggles and problems and weaknesses. And I think it's important to have strong people in your life that you are transparent with, that you trust them and that, that they care enough about you and, and the joint mission that they're going to hold you accountable and, and to tell you the hard thing when you need to hear it. You know, I think that that's key is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Number two. So if it's professional and focus on personal growth, what's number two for you guys? So I'll just run you through our core yeah, values real quick. We like to say that we are firm on our core values. And at first rate, we spell firm as P-H-E-R-M. So uh, P is personal and professional growth. H is honesty and integrity. Um, integrity for us, honesty, and, and these are they're easy things to say. They're harder things to do. So this is doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Everyone is going to find themselves themselves in a situation in a dark room where there's an opportunity to do something that's going to make you feel good, and it's not necessarily going to hurt anyone right now, right? I'm probably going to get away with this thing. That's integrity, right? That's that moment of am I going to do the right thing or am I going to take a shortcut, right? And so honesty and integrity for us is, is doing the right thing even when it's hard, doing the right thing even when no one is watching, and even when you could get away with it, it's staying true to your, to your core values, personal and professional growth, honesty and integrity. E is excellent customer service. Um, again, that's, it's something that's easy to say, excellent customer service. Um, but to us again, we, we identify that as team members first, referral partners sec and clients next, because we want to deliver that overall amazing experience. R is for relationships. We are a relationship driven office in a relationship driven industry. Uh, and and you, you can hear my words, I'm saying that the things that are most valuable to me, the thing that I get the most personal and professional growth out of is the relationships that I have with my partners, the relationships that I have with our team members. And it's through the relationships that we have the greatest impact on the community and the people that we serve. Frankly, I think that our world is short on valuable relationships, long-term, honest, committed, vulnerable, intimate relationships. I think that we're short on that. I think we're short on, on friendship. You know, I think we're short on partners. And so relationships as a core value is a commitment. It's a commitment to ourselves, a commitment to our team and a commitment to the people that we come into relationship with. Relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. I think that relationships are one of the most difficult things that you can ever accomplish as a human being. Um, I also think they are hands down the most rewarding. When I measure my life at the end of it, 
I will measure my relationships. I will remember and measure myself based on the impact that I had on others. It's not, I wished I'd closed more deals. I wish I had more money. I wish I'd bought a faster car or a bigger truck. I wish I'd gone on more adventures or traveled with my family. I'm going to measure my success or failure based on the stories that people tell about me when I'm gone. And I think that's almost everyone that gets to the end of their life. It's never, I wish I'd been more successful with business. It's, I wish I'd spend more time with my family. I wish I'd spent more time with my mother, my father, my daughter, you know, my, my son. That's important. And I think there's a huge gift and a bunch of value in recognizing how important those relationships are. So core value relationships. Uh, we round it out with M. Uh, M in firm is magnetic culture. Through all of the things that I've just been through, all those other things, they, they, we kind of tidy it all up with this is who we are becoming, right? It's not today. This is who we are becoming. This is, this is why we get up and we put our pants on every single morning and go to work is this is who we're becoming. And we would hope that like a magnet, we would attract like-minded people, that we would attract people who resonate with our mission and with our core values. And they see what we're doing and they want to come alongside us. So we hope that we would attract those people. Also like the other side of the magnet, we would hope that we would push away the people who would want to sabotage or people that are not in line with our core values. And and unfortunately, not everyone is gonna resonate with what we're doing and why we're doing it. That's okay. This is just our mission. This is the way that we're going. There's a lot of other ways to live your life or be successful. This is just our chosen path. And we would hope that our magnetic culture would attract like-minded people that would support and assist us in accomplishing our mission, that we can do better together, and that we would push away the detractors. Yeah, I love that with the magnet. That's so good. I don't even know if we talked about this, but conversations, right, this podcast, that was the reason why I started it was the R, relationships. Uh, the my, my phrase my whole life being in a world where my business resolved around relationships as well was relationships in my opinion are our most valuable commodity right like you know time is valuable like time is more valuable than money I would even put relationships over time because mm-hmm. I believe and I will say it in every podcast that, are, that you can get so much further than time or money depending mm-hmm. on the relationship right absolutely uh, you become like the people you hang out with right period. And it's for better or worse. If you hang around guys that play golf, you're going to get into golf. You hang around guys that are into football, you're going to get into football, right? That's just how it works. Um, And so I think it's really intentional to recognize the power of community, the power of those relationships. You are a sum of your five closest friends. Absolutely works every single time. I've never seen uh, anyone anywhere where it didn't work that way. And as life goes on, we all grow into and out of relationships. I think that it's easy, especially for the first half of your life, to acquire and and to carry on relationships that are accidental. Mm -hmm. They just always have been there, and so they're there. They're accidental. I think it's important to be intentional with your relationships. And and I'm not saying, I also, to to, to counterbalance that statement, I think there's a a tremendous amount of value in long-term relationships and loyalty. However, you need to be careful and, 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 and intentional with the relationships that you have long-term loyalty in. Um, I have relationships, you know, with people that I love to this day that I've known since I was a child. Um, do I maintain all of those relationships? Absolutely not. I have shed many over the years, but the ones that are important, the ones that are valuable, the ones that make me a better person and challenge me to grow, 
the ones that I have value and can give value back in, those are the ones that I, that I keep and am intentional about. And I think that's really important, um, both to be intentional about the relationships you have, curating them on a regular basis, but also to make sure that you have some of those relationships, at least a couple, that are your your day ones. You know, like I've known this person for a very, very long time. Um, and I think that there is, you know, I have some 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 pride there, which I think is important. I think that it because it's so hard to maintain a relationship, if you have a relationship you've had with someone for 30 years and you guys haven't killed each other yet, there hasn't been um, an issue yet that has destroyed the relationship in that, you know, 20 or 30 year span, man, I think that says a lot about you and the other party's ability to overcome problems and friction. Cause I promise that in that period, there was some problems, there was some friction. And so a lot of people, when they encounter something that's difficult or hard is specifically in relationships, say, all right, screw this. I'm out of here, right? I'm going to, I'm going to divorce you, whether it's a, a you know, actual marriage or just a friendship or a partnership, right? How many partnerships start and fail because you get to a point where I'm digging my heels in and screw you, buddy. And I think it's important if you're going to, if you're going to have a relationship that's that long, whether it's a, a friendship, a partnership or, or a romantic endeavor, you're going to have to make some concessions, you're going to have to negotiate, you know, you're going to have to admit your wrongdoing, you're going to have to forgive. And I think all of those are soft skills that wrap into relationships and all those other core values. Um, so yeah, relationships, man, I think it all comes back to your ability to curate, manage and keep and hold the relationships that are going to, to make you the person you want to be in the future. So you talk about, you know, the sum of five, I totally subscribe to that. And I even hear what you're saying, long relationships being, you know, prideful to keep those relationships, not letting those go. What are some criteria or ways or skills that you could share with people who are listening in today on, you know, how do you, uh, you know, go about that process? Because I know for me personally, there was challenges in that. And I know like people reach out or I talk to people about it all the time where it's like, I have this really good friend, they're a really good friend, but they're not on the same path as me anymore. Like any tips, tricks, suggestions to help navigate that process? Because that's a challenging process for people, right? Understanding that sum of five, but maybe the we're kind of drifting apart here. How do we do that? Yeah, I think it's, you have to have some sort of criteria, you know, and I think it, it, it shouldn't be rigid as well. I think that you, your, your criteria should grow and adapt as you grow and experience mm. as well things that I'm looking for in a long-term relationship. Uh, first and foremost, I want to surround myself with people that want to be better tomorrow, people that are growth-minded, um, people that are willing to admit that they're not perfect today and they probably won't ever be perfect, but I want to strive to be 1% better every single day. Um, so strive to be something better, but also um, humble enough to recognize that I am I'm flawed today and I have more to learn. Uh, the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. And I want people with that same kind of approach. I want people that um, I can practice straight talk with. I think that feedback is hard to give. I think that I've talked to so many people over the years. They say, hey, my 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 coworker, my friend, my spouse is doing this thing that drives me crazy. It's driving me crazy, you know, like, and I wish they'd stop. And I'm like, all right, well, did you, did you tell them how it makes you feel? And like, well, no, no, I haven't told them. I'm like, all right, well, how long has this been going? Oh, it's been going on for years, you know, months and years. It's been a year and a half doing this thing. Oh, man. I'm like, and you haven't you haven't told him yet? Why not? Well, you know, I don't want to start a fight. Now, if I tell him how I really feel, if I tell him how I really feel, it's going to be a fight. I don't want to lose the relationship. 
I think you're killing the relationship by not being honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm married, right? And I am going to do things that drive my spouse crazy. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? Despite, (laughs) despite, you know, all of my best intentions, I will do things that drives my spouse crazy. And if, if I'm creating friction and, and trust me, I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm not intentionally driving my spouse crazy. It's an accident. If I did that, it was an accident. If my spouse never tells me, it is a slowly building animosity. It's this little bit of friction, you know, that is just going to grind and grind and grind and grind and grind. And if she doesn't tell me, if my wife doesn't tell me, then it's robbing me of the opportunity to be a better man, to be a better husband. It robs me of the ability to grow into the person that I want to become. And so I think that the greatest gift that any one human being can give to another is the gift of real, honest, feedback. I'm telling you that you're driving me crazy. And I'm telling you that you're driving me crazy, not because I want to start a fight with you, but I care about you. And I believe that you can be better than this, right? I have children and I discipline my children because I know that they can be better. If I didn't care about my kids, I wouldn't discipline them, right? And so I want to have people in my life that I can give honest feedback to that won't fight me and to be defensive, right? And that's okay if it's your initial reaction to say, hey, Adam, you're crazy. I don't want to hear that. But then I want you to like chew on it for a minute, marinate on it, right? Let it sink. And you're like, all right, okay, all right, you're right. Maybe I could, maybe I could work on that a little bit, right? And so I... I practice that every day because I have a lot to learn. I have a lot of areas to grow and I'm aware of that. And so when someone gives me honest feedback, uh, I try to take it to heart. You know, I try to take it to heart. And uh, so I want someone in my life who's both willing to give me the gift of feedback and not be fearful of me jumping on them, attacking them or wanting to fight because of that feedback. And then I want someone who I can add value to as well. I don't only want to get value. I want to add value in the relationship. So I want someone that when I come to them and say, Hey man, can I talk to you about an opportunity that I see permission to coach? I see an opportunity. Can I talk to you about something that I see in your life? Someone that says, yeah, yeah, Adam. Yeah. I would, I, I would appreciate that. Actually, if you see an opportunity where I could be better, I'd appreciate that. Um, so I think that's really important. And so if I'm looking at long-term relationships and friendships, I want someone who is growth-minded and someone who is willing to accept and give honest feedback in an effort to grow together. Yeah, no, I love that. I always say like, you know, if your wife cooks you a dinner and it doesn't taste good, you better tell her, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to keep eating that dinner for a long, long yeah, time absolutely. if you don't, right? Like, <laughs> absolutely. And she'll appreciate that feedback because uh-huh. she doesn't want to keep cooking you something you don't like. She's mm-hmm. making it out of love because she wants you to love it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's so funny you say that because I legitimately have conversations like that on a regular basis. Yeah. So I love the feedback thing. And I, I agree with you. I think feedback is a really challenging thing. And I don't want to comb over it because you said it and it's so good is like the asking for permission for feedback, right? Because mm-hmm. I think even for your spouse, right? Like, hey, you know, I, I'm perturbed about something. I want to talk about it is now a good time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and don't just go out and spew it because you might, you know, put yourself in a position where they're defensive and then they're not hearing it anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So that that getting that permission and then them being receptive of it is a huge differentiator. I love that. Yeah, I think that's important to have something that identifies that this is what's going to happen next. Right. Because if you hit someone with some unsolicited uh, intense feedback and they didn't see it coming, they're not in the right mindset, yeah, you could you could trigger somebody, you know? Right. Um, also, uh, you know, there should this this conversation should come with a warning that if you are going to practice straight talk and, and, and give feedback to your friends, you are going to lose a couple of friends. Not everyone is going to be able to reciprocate this kind of relationship. Um, in my eyes, you're better off testing a relationship soon and seeing if it's going to pass 
this test? Uh, and if it's not, hey man, it's not meant to be, right. you know, but you are going to lose some, some friends over this, you know, but potentially, but the best of, of the, the best people, the best relationships, the best friends will not just stay, they'll continue to improve indefinitely. Right. And I mean, and I think, and I want to know what your perspective is on this is I think that there is a perfect marriage or, you know, a perfect fine line in the middle because you, like you're saying, you gotta, you gotta take straight talk. You gotta give, ask for permission, but you also can't backdoor it either. I've seen it done in such a bad way. You know, here's the setup, right? Like someone's like, Hey, you know, how's it going? They start the small talk, they go small talk, small talk, small talk. And then they try to like bring it in in the back instead of kind of getting right to it. So like you got to ask for permission, but you got to go straight to it, right? Yeah. You don't want to be like, how was the weekend? How's the kids? Okay, yeah. And, you know, and I've seen people do it that way. And I'm like, oh, got to let them experience that moment so I can coach it after the fact. But like you got to also go straight to it. Like yeah. that's the intention is the feedback, right? Yep. And get the permission from there. Yeah. Don't mince words and, and, and let it be what it is. Don't try to cover it or hide it. Right. Um, every time we hire someone at first rate, we have an expectations conversation with them. Um, any good idea is born from mistakes. And so in the past, we recognize that we might have someone on our team that's doing something that drives us crazy. And we're like, wait, we, we, we got to go tell them. We got to go tell them, cut that out. And we're like, all right, as we are deciding the best way to approach the individual, is what they're doing something we told them not to do like did we ever set an expectation that they should or should not be doing this thing and for a lot of things the answer was no like we never told them that they should or should not be doing this thing all right well if we never told them being a thumb pointer that's on us like that was our mm -hmm. mistake and so I said all right we need to have we need to have and set better expectations when we put someone on the team. And so now we sit them down at the very beginning. We have an expectations conversation. This is what we expect from you. And we want to know what you expect from us. This is not a one-way street. It's a relationship. It takes both of us to win. What do you expect from us? Part of this conversation deals with sensitive issues. So we have a whole part we talk about sensitive issues. When a sensitive issue arises, it's not if, it's when a sensitive issue arises, how would you like us to discuss it with you? And we let them tell us. And everyone's got a different answer. And then we say, hey, if, if a sensitive issue comes up on your side that you need to discuss with us, here's how we want you to bring it to us. And on our side, we want you to bring sensitive issues promptly and privately. Promptly and privately. And don't make us beat around, like don't make us read between the lines or beat around the bush. Right. Uh, we're not good at that. So hit us with it, just right between the eyes. We like that feed, the feedback, the straight talk promptly and privately. Don't do it on the Zoom call. Don't do it in the lobby. Don't do it, you know, at the sales meeting, right? Promptly and privately. And then we promise that we will consider and address that. Yeah, no, I love that. Have you had any in those conversations where it's really challenged you and you had to grow? You know, like, have you ever had an opportunity where it was like your team was coming to you, but then honestly, you were getting the best coaching or the best thing from your team based on the situation that you had to prepare yourself for? Yeah, I think on a, on a regular basis. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you're going to get listening to this is that, that I like being coached. I like that feedback. And so we encourage our team to do that. And yeah, it's a, it's a push pull every single day where we give and get feedback. Um, and it makes us stronger. And every time you give and get feedback, it reinforces that. Right. And so if you give someone feedback and they freak out on you, then it makes it scary to do it next time. I and mean, if I bring you the gift of feedback, I'm like, hey, man, uh, I see an opportunity to grow in this area. And you slap that gift out of my hand. Right. And you don't appreciate it. Well, then next time I'm way less likely to bring you that gift. I'm not going to do it again. You're discouraging 
me and giving you good feedback. And then, then what happens is that's the slow drift of the relationship moving mm -hmm. to the side. Whereas if someone comes to you and says, hey, let me give you the gift of feedback, and you're like, thank you so much. Thank you so much for caring enough about me to give me the gift that reinforces the relationship and makes it easier to do it next time. And so I think that we have and are cultivating um, an environment in our office where it's totally okay to go in and sit down in someone's office and, hey, permission to coach. Um, and you know, they can, you know, get ready for it and say, Hey man, hit me between the eyes. And so, yeah, on a regular basis, I'm talking to my team and my team says, Hey, Adam, I think this, I think this, I think, you know, how about this other thing? Let's explore this opportunity or why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. Um, there's going to be a lot of missteps along the way and all of us are better than any one of us. And we need all of those different eyes, all different ears, all the different opinions, um, so that we can best get across the finish line. Do you guys have a filtering process for that feedback, right? Because, you know, say you cultivate it and everyone's giving you feedback. I mean, some of it be like, love that you're thinking of the idea, but no, right? Like, you know, do you guys have any sort of, you know, layering process or thoughtfulness to be able to weed out those those feedbacks or at least hear those people so it continues to cultivate that? Because I've seen it where in similar scenarios where someone brings an idea Love that you're bringing ideas. Mm -hmm. Wrong idea. Like, yeah, you know, so yeah. like, can you talk me through like if you guys have had that type of thing going on? Yeah, I think that um, it's not a common someone brings up an idea and right away you're thinking, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> we never say that out loud, yeah. right? Uh, just because it's the, the knee jerk reaction doesn't make it right. And I talked earlier about how me and my partners, we wrestle with ideas. That means that the the idea that you thought was going to win in the beginning doesn't always end up winning in the end. And so whenever we are going to make a big change at our office, we do our best to go to the whole team and solicit feedback. And we're going to get some good ideas and we're going to get some bad ones. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, we don't discuss the validity or merit of the ideas at that point. The goal would be just to to acquire the feedback, right? And then we would take it and then we go analyze and we'll wrestle with all of those ideas individually. And even the ones that might appear to be a bad idea, we give them their time on the mat. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to wrestle with those as well. Um, and man, lots of times I and we have been surprised with what we end up at the, at the end. And generally, it's not just any one person's idea that nailed it. It's the, the sum of all the different parts. Okay. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know? Um, in the, in the relationship that me and my two partners have, um, we have a, a metric or a tool that we've learned that works well. And we like to teach this to our, our teammates as well. Um, and what that is, is we call it feed forward. So instead of feedback, feed forward. And so we have on time, which is working on the business and we do seven hours at least every week of on time, the three of us, um, Three weeks out of the month, we get together and we uh, we start the meeting with um, an affirmation. So we, we say, you know, one or two things that your partner's doing well. Hey, man, I saw you do this last week. You crushed that. Keep that up, man. You're nice job. Hey, thank you for completing this project over here. Looks fantastic. Team's getting value. Thanks, man. I appreciate you being my partner. We also come up with three words of how we're feeling this week. So I am excited. I am determined and anxious, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes they can be, you know, there could be a dichotomy in those words. I can be excited and I can be anxious at the same right. time. You know, I can be committed and concerned at the same time. Totally. And so we have a, a, and we don't discuss them. So it's not like, Oh, tell me more about that, but it's a quick check-in. So here's, is three words on how I'm feeling and a good job for my two buddies. And, and it's fast. I mean, it takes uh, like a couple of minutes 
and then we move into the like the 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 meat of the meeting. The fourth week of every month, we do feed forward. And so we ask the question then, each of us would go around, we ask a question, what are one or two things that I can do to increase joy and harmony and decrease stress and tension in our relationship? And then you let the other people, you know, talk. And this is a this is asking for not feedback, but feed forward. What can I do? What mm-hmm. can I not well not, not that's what's something that I did that pissed you off, but what what are things that I can do to improve our relationship and grow us closer, closer together. How can I improve? And so this, it's hard, man. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right, right like right now it's hard. We've been doing it for years and uh, it took a long time uh, for it to become natural. And at this point it is natural and easy, but you know, asking how can I be better? How can I be better is, is a hard thing to ask and it's a harder thing to listen. And you're not allowed to fight or discuss or be, defensive. So someone says, Hey, Adam, I'd really appreciate it. If you could do this, here's some things you could do this, you could do this, you could be better at this and faster at that other thing. And I might be thinking, Oh, man, well, I can't do it this way or that way. Like what you're asking, you know, because I got all these excuses. And it's not a time to ask excuses. So you're allowed to ask a, um, a defining question of like, Hey, like explain more what that looks like. Or can you give me an example to help me understand the feedback that you're giving me or the feed forward that you're giving me? Um, but then at the end you just say, okay, thank you. And you take that and then you can go back and you can chew on that and ruminate. And on a regular basis, we, we challenge each other, man. Like we don't pull punches. Well, we tell the truth. Hey, you, you know, uh, when you did this, I think you missed an opportunity. If you could stay more focused in this area in the future, will all benefit. So those feed forward conversations have been a big part of maintaining our relationship through the difficult times. Yeah. I mean, and you just have to have a great amount of trust and respect with yes. your partners, right? Yes. You know, I think those two things, you can have that type of conversation. And I encourage anyone that's in an executive role or a higher leadership role that they create form for their meetings. Like mm-hmm. you're talking about like those points and going through those and, and doing them consistently, no matter what, even if you just talked about it last week, keep doing it again because it, like you're saying, it get, it's awkward, it's challenging, it's hard to start, but you get two years in and it just, honestly, you look forward to it, mm-hmm. right? You look forward to hearing those words. You look forward to that feedback. You look forward to journaling or like processing it, however you internalize it later. Mm-hmm. And it, it just becomes a huge value process for you to grow in yourself and then, which then is going to create a lot of perpetuity growth amongst your entire team or whoever you're leading. Yeah, and this was a skill that we were that we lot that we learned or were taught um, back when we were going through some some really hard things as a partnership, yeah. and so this was designed as a tool to let the steam out so that it wouldn't explode. And since then, we you know we've solved a lot of the, the problems, we've overcome those, and we're in a good spot. And so, uh, just last week, we had our feed forward and kind of went around, and everyone's like, "Man, like solid work, everyone! Like go team, we're all crushing it." I don't have any specific feed forward. Man, is like really proud of what you're accomplishing. And I think it's easy in a time where I don't have any specific, like hard feedback to give you. It's easy to say, all right, maybe we don't need to do this anymore. Maybe the relationship is fit enough and healthy enough that we don't need this medicine anymore. Um, The danger would be then if you stop the practice, if you stop that, then eventually down the road, friction will come back again. And it's, it's, it's a lot harder then to solve it later down the road. If you're diligent in doing this behavior of asking for this feed forward, you know, on a regular basis, there is now and forevermore an opportunity and a mechanism to solve a problem before it becomes something bigger. Yeah, that's incredible. So I guess one thing that I would love to know, I mean, you guys, 
I mean, I, this could go, we could have a whole podcast on this really, you know, but given the core leadership that you guys have, how you guys are growing a company, it to me, you know, I didn't know any of this, but I know it now. No wonder why you guys are doing and moving and shaking and, and growing like the way you guys are growing. But with the, you know, how have you guys had to adjust or adapt? Because you guys are in a market where some things change. The Fed raised rates. That changes your guys' business greatly. And so how have you guys navigated through that change, which it's a part of your guys' business, I get. But to grow and keep the team positive, optimistic, because like I know that you guys were at a point and you've had to trim back a little bit. So how have you guys worked and processed through that piece? Yeah, uh, we double down on our, our, our core values, uh, starting mm. with personal and professional growth. So we uh, 80% mindset, 20% tactics. And so we have, we've seen interest rates go from 2% to 7%, one of the fastest increase in interest rates our country's ever seen. Um, and it's been, uh, man, it's been pretty demoralizing, you know, for a lot of the mortgage industry. You know, we went from uh, more loans than you could ever do to where'd they all go? You know, the pipeline was bursting at the seams. Now the pipeline is, is pretty dry and empty, you know? Uh, it's been hard. And so we have doubled down on mindset. Uh, we have done a lot of training and education around mindset. We um, hired two Tony Robbins coaches to mm. come up and invest in our team for one of these, these offsite uh, events that we did. Um, we just hired another national spe- speaker to come up and do some training, just not just for our office, but the whole industry. Dig a, did a big event over at the Lusac Library. We had over 200 people there. It's a fantastic event. And so uh, we've been out of town for a couple educational events. We are doubling down on the investment in our team and the mindset. And we feel confident that if we just do the right thing and we do the right thing and we do the right thing and we have a service-oriented approach and we care about people, that we're going to get to where we go. And so like what I'm picturing in my head is if you ever have seen Finding a Nemo, like the movie mm-hmm. Finding Nemo, they got Dory, the little mm-hmm. fish Dory, who's like halfway, um, she's not all the way there, right? Mm-hmm. But she, is, she sings a little song, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And so for us, we are committed to the daily activities of living into our core values and our mission. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Because if we know, if we always just make the right decision, if we do the right thing by our team, by our community, if we are generous, loving, kind, that we're going to get what we want. This too shall pass. This is a time right now. But as long as we stay focused and stay positive, we will rise above. And man, we've seen a lot of the competition out there get negative and down on themselves. You get negative, you get down, then you start infighting. Mm-hmm. You start looking for someone to blame. Oh, I bet it's that guy over there. I bet it's this person over there. That other loan officer, man, they're they're winning and I bet they're taking my deals. Man, maybe it's my processor that didn't submit the thing fast enough. Maybe it's the underwriter's fault. And people start looking for blame, right? Um, if someone takes your success away, you start looking for blame. And I think that's really dangerous. Uh, there are things that are in our control and things that are outside of our control. Almost everything is outside of our control. Only a little bit is inside. And what is inside our control starts first with your attitude and the way that you experience the world. And so I would encourage, uh, you know, we encourage our team and anyone else to not give away your your sovereignty. Don't give away your sovereignty. You are a sovereign individual and you have full control over yourself and your worldly experience. That's the only thing that truly you have control over. And so when things get hard, don't become a finger pointer. Don't look to blame someone else and give away your autonomy and your sovereignty. Be a thumb pointer and say, hey, listen, I am in control. I have the power. Everything I need is within me. I'm going to go win today. 
right? And if you look at it from that angle, day to day, I'm going to be better and I have everything I need. And like, you're going to have a better world experience. You know, I can't guarantee where you're going to get, but your day to day experience is going to be a lot better when you, you own your world experience. Jim Rohn always says, you know, stand guard at the doors of your mind, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and being very careful with how you and who you let into that, because Mm -hmm. if you do, you start to point, you start to blame. Mm -hmm. Given, as you talked about it, like, you know, in the market, the time, the challenges, and I just, I love challenges. I love hearing how people overcome it. I love the mindset behind it. So I'm just going to be, you know, kind of riddling through some of these one thing that I could think of is, is given how well you guys have been coaching and leading people, you're probably raising up some really great people in your company. What is or how do you guys combat, uh, you know, headhunting or anything like that? Is that even a thing for you guys in your guys' space? Like, is other people trying to come and being like, well, hey, we'll pay you this? Like, is that something you guys have to deal with in your guys' space? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. In a, in a pretty major way. Okay. Uh, so uh, headhunting and, and poaching of talent is uh, a huge part of the mortgage industry. Mm. Um, and especially in the last couple of years, uh, Alaska is a hard market to break into. And so at the same time, it's, it's, it's a good market to be in. And so we've had a lot of like big national companies come from outside and they want to gain a foothold in, in Alaska. And so they, they start a new shop and they have to recruit some talent. And the way that you recruit is you offer big signing bonuses. And so we have a, a lot of people that are that are upper all the time, calling our team, texting our team, emailing the team. Hey, man, what's going on? Come over here. I'll give you $30,000, $50,000. We've had signing bonuses offered to our team members um, up to a half million dollars. Come over, we'll pay you $500,000 signing bonus. Um so far, we've lost zero people. Oh. We've lost zero people. And it's something we're really proud about. Um, and, and, and why do they stay? And man, they're offered not just, hey, we're going we're gonna to give you this big signing bonus. They also offer bigger commission splits. And hey, we're going to pay you more per deal. You can do less deals, make the same amount of money, or we're, you, just, you just make double the money. Signing bonus and double commissions. The problem is, ain't nothing in this world for free. And behind all the offers of, 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 of free money and, and better you know, commission splits, we're going to pay you more. The way that those companies do that is they pad their rate sheets. And so right. they're just charging higher rates. And so they tell the salesperson, hey, we're going to pay you more money. But what they don't say in that sales pitch is you're going to have to charge more to your client. We've had a handful of people that have, have migrated to our office, come to our office from some of those other companies that come over for a smaller commission split. Like you're going to get paid less per deal, but our rates are better. Our rates are better. You're going to get to do more volume and the financial aspect of it, of, you know, what is, you know, how much you're going to get paid when you close a deal? What is the rate you're giving to the client? That's obviously part of it. And in line with our mission, we're not, we're not charging people too much. We're charging just enough, you know, just enough to make this thing all work. Um, And so the loan officers get to do more volume. You make up the profitability and volume people aren't staying for the numbers. They're not staying because our rates are better. They're not staying for commissions. They're staying because of our culture. They're staying because of our core values. They're staying because they resonate with our mission. Um, They see us having a positive impact on the community and the people they serve. Um, They are active in our our foundation. We have a nonprofit foundation. Um, We started the foundation at the beginning of 2018. We've given away over $400,000 to families in need. And a lot of this is through COVID, right? Like through COVID, when people needed help, man, there was like, there's been a lot of pain in our communities over the past couple of years. And we were able to to fill that need and to meet 
Alaskan families at their most vulnerable point when they needed it the most. And all of the, the, the monies, all the checks that our foundation gives away are delivered by hand. We don't mail checks, okay? We try to never mail checks. All of them are delivered. And so there's a friendly first rater that knocks on the door of the family who just, you know, had a loved one pass away, who just experienced a major loss, who, who needs that. And then, man, they hand that check over. And every single time, there's tears, there's mm-hmm. hugs, there's like real sincere human gratitude, and it changes lives. It changes not just the life of the recipient of the check, it changes the lives of the first-rate team member who either one, found the need, or two, handed that check over. And then we share those stories, man. Those stories are a big part of our culture. And so, uh, like on those Zoom meetings I talked about earlier, you know, we got someone who says, you know, here's the story of when I delivered that check to this family in need, you know, last week, and they're getting emotional, the whole team's getting emotional. You can feel it, man. We aren't in this business just because we have low rates. We're not in this business just so we can help people achieve the goal of home ownership. That too, that as well. But truly, we're in this to help people and change lives in as many ways that we can. And our team feels that, and it changes the people. You can see the people change. You can see the team change. And they show up in the world. They show up in the community in a very different way. They have different eyes and different ears. They see and hear things in a different way. And they are looking for an opportunity to serve. They're looking for pain that they can that they can meet, that they can mitigate, right? And then excitedly, when they find an opportunity to serve, when they find some pain, they bring that to us. We have a, um, a board that runs the, the foundation internally. They bring it to the board and they're excited, man. They're giddy. I found someone who needs help. We might be able to help these people over here, you know? And it's awesome, man. It's so cool to see everyone rise up and, and meet those needs. And even in a, in, a, in a time in our industry right now where, frankly, profitability is uh, is it like really low? Profitability is is real low right now in the mortgage industry, and um, you know we haven't we haven't had a profitable month in the last five or six months. You know we're we're barely paying the bills. We still diligently contribute to our foundation every single month. We are that's something that we will not stop doing. Right? We are committed to this long term, um, and I think that when the team sees leadership committed to the core values, they're not just things that we talk about. They're not things that we put on the wall. Like we, we live into these, um, man, the reason that they stay, the reason they don't get poached, the reason they're not pulled away by the offer of free, easy money is because they're in line with our, our mission. It's that magnetic culture, right? Yeah, no, I love that so much. And you're right. Like the more as an owner or, or a leader in the company lives the value, the more it just sets an example for the team to be able to perpetuate that value. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's just amazing. So you, okay. Like you said, five, six months, it's, it's, it's been tight. It's been challenging. It's been hard. Uh, you know, what's, what's, if you had a, a, a glass ball or what's your, you know, a crystal ball and you could see, you know, where things are going. I have a lot of people that talk about investing, getting homes. I, that's a conversation I've had many times. I was talking to John about it. I was like, I actually have helped 12 people. I don't, I don't do lending. I don't do any of that get into real estate because of how valuable it, it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's your, what, what do you see being the case? Obviously, it's always a good time to buy, you know, like what we talked about, but like, where do you think they're going? And, you know, if someone is still thinking about first time home buyer investing in rentals, you know, where do you see things going? That's a great question. Um, I think there's opportunity in any market. Uh, and I think there's, there's opportunity right now. Uh, I think there's opportunity in a couple different areas. 
one of the things that I, I, I oftentimes think is, um, you're familiar with this guy, Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. right? Warren Buffett, arguably the, the, the best investor of our generation. He says, you should be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. That's hard to do. Uh, that's, that's hard to do. And so right now, I think that there are, um, there's a lot of different opinions on the market and, when, and what is going to happen next. But one of the things that, that kind of underlines or underpins a lot of those opinions is fear. I think there's fear right now in, in a lot of people. Um, some people saying, hey, I'm not going to buy until the housing bubble crashes. Surely it will crash. I've seen it go up. It's going to come down. I'm not buying until it crashes. We have a whole generation of home buyers that have never seen a 5% interest rate until like right now. Um, interest rates were 2 and 3%, you know, have been for over the last dozen years, 12 or 13 years, they've been that low. And so people say, I'm not going to buy when rates are 6 or 7%. I'm waiting until they go back down to 3 I think there's an opportunity right now to get into affordable housing as a landlord. Um, those people that aren't going to buy until the market crashes, the people that aren't going to buy till rates go back down to 3%, those are your tenants. And they're going to be fantastic tenants, all right? They're going to be fantastic long-term tenants because the market's not going to crash, all right? We don't have enough time to get into all of the data, but the market's not going to crash and rates aren't going back down to 2 to 3%. It's not going to happen. And so those people that, you know, for a decade have been building this expectation of this is what it's going to look like when I buy my first home, the world has shifted, the market is different. And so there's an opportunity to get yourself into a multifamily situation, go buy yourself a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, go get yourself a rental property right now, I think you're going to see a fantastic, like, uh, quality of tenant over the next couple of years, right? So get into the landlord game, all right? Also, if you're that tenant that I'm talking to, like if you're the guy who's not going to buy till the housing market crashes, guess what? Hot tip, it's not going to crash. Just go do it, man. If you look at the value of real estate historically long-term in our nation, in any market, it always goes up. If you look at a two or three-year period, up, down, up, down. I bought it high and I had to sell low. I lost money. I made money. Two to three years, up, down, up, down, up, down. Drag it out to 10 years, always up. Always up. It does. I don't care where you are. I would challenge anyone to go find any market in the country where you pick your 10 years. If you put 10 years between your buy and sell point, man, it always went up. I bought my first fourplex in 2007, which is arguably the absolute worst time to buy a building in the past decade, uh, was 2007, right before the, the Great Recession. Um, I paid $500,000 for this building. I couldn't sell it for $500,000. I ended up having to do a short sale on that property, sold it for four hundred and fifty. I lost $50,000 on that property in about 18 months. If I'd kept that property today, it's easily worth two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars more than I'd paid for it. So up down up down. I lost fifty thousand dollars in a year and a half. If I'd held it, I, I would have been better off. So long term, you're going to live in a house. You can pay someone else's mortgage. You can be a tenant and pay someone else's mortgage, or you can pay your own. I think you're always better off just jumping in. No one knows what tomorrow holds, but all of the data, all of the history, all of the the life and world experience says that real estate is the number one builder of wealth in the history of humankind. There's nothing been ever that even touched it as, as far as real estate. You go all the way back down to kings and queens. You had landlords, the people that were the lords of the land, right? The kings and queens in the castles, and then you had the serfs that worked the land. The situation is not a whole lot different these days. You have those that own the land, the lords of the land, and those that work the land. The quicker you can make that jump into getting yourself 
a, a, an asset, you know, a piece of real estate that is appreciable, it goes up in value. Um, it is depreciable, I can write it off on my taxes and has the ability to, to provide passive income for me and my family long term. That's game changer, man. Right. It's game changer. So I would say just jump. It's never perfect. You're never ready. It's like getting married, having a baby, joining the military. You never. There's never a perfect time. Just jump and do it. Love, love those connections. Um, so there's no question that that it's a good time based on what you're saying here. And you know, just for the record, I went to a class. What you taught last week, and you did have all the data points. And just knowing the the total amount of houses available on market versus you know you know where it's been strategically in the past, you're right. It's not going to go down. Maybe interest rates are up, so that means buying power is down, right? So, what would you suggest, or what are some of the key factors from your perspective, being in the wealth of knowledge you've been twenty years, you've been a loan mm-hmm. officer, right? What are some of like you know if it's credit, you know if it's you know tips or saving for money? What are some of the just most important things for people given it is a more fearful time because interest rates are higher. So your mortgage is going to be higher than maybe when it was at two or three that people need to be focused on to still be able to, to make a purchase like that. Yeah. For me, it boils down to planning and education. Uh, you got to double down. I think that these are more important now than they have been for a while. Um, over the past decade, it, you could have pretty crummy credit. You could have no down payment. You could have a sketchy job history. You still were getting a, a 3% interest rate. It still is going to be a fantastic deal. Um, now there is a premium put on your qualifications, right? And so working on yourself, you know, getting your credit up, knowing how your income is going to be measured, planning for a down payment, restructuring your debt load, understanding Mm -hmm. how your debt to income ratio is calculated, um, knowing the different programs that are available to you, working with a, you know, a trusted local professional who you can look in the eyes and has accountability. One of the things I think that has cost our industry and cost our, our community a lot is these online lenders, right? And and trust me, man, I love me some Amazon, you know, I love like next day free delivery right to my door. Uh, I do a lot of my shopping online from my cell phone. And so we are as consumers trained to shop like that. And you can't shop like that for all things, right? There's, there's some things that you're not necessarily looking for the cheapest, you're looking for the best. If I'm gonna go get a tattoo, I'm not looking for the cheapest guy. If I have to have surgery, I'm not looking for the cheapest guy. If I'm going to make a 30-year commitment for hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm not looking for the cheapest guy, right? And so if you find an online lender who promises to be $500 less than you know somebody else, maybe he's $500 less and maybe he's not. Maybe he's just pulling the wool over your eyes, which happens a lot. But the biggest thing is that there's no accountability. The guy on the phone, if he makes you a promise that, hey, I can get you this loan and you get three weeks down the road and the deal falls apart because he didn't do his due diligence up front, your earnest money is at risk, right? And if it falls apart, there's no consequence for the guy on the phone. Oh, sorry, you didn't work out. You're just a number that he crosses off his sheet and he's on to the next one. When you work with a human being that lives in your town of any profession, right, whether it's your CPA, you know, your real estate agent or your mortgage lender or an attorney or anyone else, there's accountability. We are going to see our clients at Fred Myers. We're going to see them at cars. We're going to see them on the slopes of Alieska. We're going to run into the people that we care about in our community. And so I think that as you are going through the process of educating yourself, you're planning, you're growing your knowledge, you're growing your qualifications, you are, are, are building your plan. I think you need to have a trusted local professional who is accountable to your success. 
right? And hopefully you, you know, you find that at first rate. If you can't at first rate, find someone who you can look in the eyes, you can touch them, you can feel them, they're real, they care about you. And then the final piece of, of finding a good professional to be your coach and your advisor is make sure that that person has been where you want to go, mm. right? Been where you want to go. Um, I've worked with a handful of financial planners over you know the last couple of years working in the financial industry, and financial you know uh, financial advisor just like anything else you got to start someplace. And so you got a lot of young guys who get into financial planning, um, you pass the test, and now you're out there looking for clients. It's ultimately a sales gig. You have to sell yourself to get the client to then manage the money. And so I've always told people that my number one requirement for a financial planner is you have to have way more money than me. You got to have way more money than me. And I'm not trying to be rude, right? But no matter how much money I have, man, you have to have way more than me. I'm never going to hire a financial planner who has less wealth and less assets than I do. And that's just an example, right? So like if I'm going to go get into, I said that I think there's going to be some fantastic tenants out there. So I think it's a great time to get into the landlord game. If you're going to get into being a landlord, you should work with professionals that are landlords, right? I want to work with a CPA who has rental properties, a, a real estate agent who has rental properties, a mortgage advisor who's got you know rental properties. So as you build your team of professionals and you focus on on your, your planning before you execute, measure twice, you know, before you cut. Um, I think you have to focus on someone who has been where you want to go. Totally agree. I mean, I tell that all the time. You got to, you know, people give, a lot of people are quick to give advice, right? I mean, how many people are giving advice on the rental part, you know, market right now or just the real estate market, but they might not even own a home, right? You know, and so that is so important. And I don't think people you know, focus on that near as much as they should. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. You know, like if you were going to go to the car dealership and buy a new car and the guy that sells you the car, he like rides off on a bicycle. You're like, wait, wait a second, you know, or maybe he's selling Fords and he drives off in a Chevy. You're like, well, wait a second. Well, I thought you just told me that the Fords are the best. Why are you driving that Chevy? So yeah, so find someone who is, um, is doing what they're telling you to do. Yeah. I mean, given being in the personal trainer world, you know, it's like having a personal trainer that's out of shape. Yeah, you got to be in better shape than me. <laughs> yeah, if you're in, I 100% agree. So, mm -hmm. no, I love that. I love that. Well, let's wrap this up. A couple things that I just love hearing from every single person is, is you know, what's the best single piece of advice that you've ever had? Ooh, that's pretty broad. Best single piece of advice. Let's specifically um, when it comes to personal development. Let's go let's focus into that because it's your first value. It's something that is something that's always heavy on my part. When it comes to you, your personal, your mindset, what's a single piece of advice that could be valuable for others that you think is best? Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure that I could come up with the absolute best because there's a lot in there. Your favorite. Let's say your favorite. I'll tell you one that I was that I was teaching someone else just last week that I thought needed to hear this. Um, one of my personal core values is love and generosity. Um, I love people. I love people and I love being generous. If you are going to love people and be generous, it's a matter of time before you get really hurt. You are, you are going to be hurt. It's just, it's, it's, it's in your future. Um, when you are loving and generous and someone takes advantage of you in that way and hurts you in, in a way that, is really meaningful, right? Like you have to be vulnerable to, to love and to be generous. You must be vulnerable. And if you make yourself vulnerable to somebody and they hurt you in that way, and they just stab this knife into your open chest, um, 
it is easy to recoil, to scab over and not want to do it again. Mm. And I have experienced, um, value and joy as well as intense pain and sorrow, um, by living into these core values of, of love and generosity. And I think it's really important to know what your core values are as a human being, not just to talk about as a business, but as, as a human being, what are your core values? And are you willing to do those things, even if they become a competitive disadvantage, even when it hurts, are you still committed to doing it? And, uh, I think that if you get hurt and you sacrifice your core values, you give up your future joy. I think you shorten your potential on life. And I think that it's something that you'll regret to your last breath. And so I would encourage everyone to be clear on what your core values are and to stick with them even when they become a competitive disadvantage in your own life, even when you get hurt um, in that way when you're being vulnerable I think that you got to double down and 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 get back on that horse and ride it. You know, I think you got to double down and do it again quickly. And so I was talking to one of our team members who um, is a loving and generous person in um, in their own personal life, and uh, they had you know were being vulnerable in a way, and they were being big and loving and generous, and they got taken advantage of, and they in reaction wanted to close themselves off to the world and be less loving and less generous next time makes you feel naive and stupid, you know, to be taken advantage of this way. And I said, listen, I know that you were taken advantage of and I know how you feel. And I know you to be a loving and generous person. And if you allow somebody else to convince you to live a smaller life because they didn't appreciate the gift that you gave them, man, you're giving them way too much power. You're giving up your sovereignty. I'm like, you need to understand that these are your core values. Be sure on why they're core, your core values. And then every single day live into them and understand that, that, you know, maybe this person and maybe even the next person won't get the value that you strive to give through being the kind of person that you want to be. But if you are honest with yourself and true to yourself and you continue to be loving and generous you will ultimately reap the the greatest of rewards at the end of your life. Love that. That's so good. And then is there a piece of advice that you hear given out a lot, but you maybe disagree with or you caution because you hear it so often and, and it may be not be, you know, the best piece that you always hear, you know, like, you know, I don't know, but like, is there advice that you hear that you maybe just say, mm, I don't know, I'd caution that advice. Sure. Um, it would be kind of like, you know, in relation to even business, right? So uh, I'd mentioned that right now the mortgage industry is, is tough. Like we're going through a, a winter season in the mortgage industry. Um, I'd mentioned earlier that in our office, in response to this, we are doubling down on mindset and education. There are definitely some people out there that are doubling down on sales skills. And so I heard me use the word commissions. This is a, it's a, ultimately a commissions-based industry, much like real estate, right? Um, a lot of people would call these industries a sales industry. I'm a salesman. I'm a saleswoman. It's my job to sell things. Um, I think that selling becomes a dirty word. And I think that selling, and maybe for good reason, because it, selling might have a part of it that's like tricking somebody to do something they don't want to do, right? I don't view it that way. I view selling as problem solving, um, voracious, aggressive, and curious problem solving. And so I think that the people focus too much on selling 
and not nearly enough on service. Mm -hmm. And so when things get hard and your pipeline gets thin and your bank account gets short, you're like, man, I got to go hunt and kill some more things. I need to go sell some things. And there's a lot of people in any sales industry that, hey, man, if your sales are down, you got to go sell some things. And I would encourage anyone who's in a a sales environment or a a commission-driven industry to focus less on selling and more on service. And what that means to me is it's it's way less talking and way more listening. It's way more curiosity and way less bravado, right? And if, if I am selling out of fear, if I'm selling out of lack, I'm selling out of scarcity, then you start to fall into the dangerous part of, of selling, like, you know, the the dark part of selling, which is trying to trick someone to earn a commission. And that is a real short-lived profession that you're going to be in. And so, man, I would encourage anyone who finds themselves in a, a winter period, a winter season in your business, in your industry, rather than focus on selling, doubling down on service. Find with a curiosity people that you can serve and help. Yeah, I mean... I personally love these types of seasons, not because you're going through a hard time or people are going through a hard time because of inflation, but because I've come from a world of sales for such a long period of time, seasons like this expose bad salespeople, period, right? You know, they really do. It's the person that focused on service and on people and asking questions and, you know, solving problems will always beat someone that is good with, you know, comebacks and Mm -hmm. quick-witted, you know, and so... I embrace these times. They're challenging for all of us, but that is so gold, what you highlighted there. Yeah, it pushes out the pretenders, and I think that's good. I think that uh, you know, a, a burning of the forest and a purge every now and again is good because it, it pushes out the people that are only here for personal gain. Yeah, well, I can't tell you how grateful I am for this. Like, There's so many nuggets. Like, I'm excited to go back and just edit this and take notes because <laughs> it was on fire. Any final thoughts or anything else? I just thank you. Thank you for um, creating this platform and this format. Uh, I love to grow and to learn, and I'm excited to have found your show just very recently. So I've loved everything I've listened to and can't wait for what you're going to do next. Thanks, Ken. All right. Talk to you later, sir.